The Law Report with Tyron Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report programme. Well, as you know, once a month here on The Law Report, we run a legal clinic trying to answer a range of questions on a number of different topics. And tonight, being the second Monday of the month, it's again time to open the lines for you to ask that particular legal question that doesn't quite fit into the other topics that we discuss here on The Law Report. And just before we begin, a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook, but please remember to include your email address or if you don't have access to Facebook, you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want. And just an apology to those who have actually posted on Facebook or sent emails. I've sort of been out of the out of play here for a few days and uh, I will be getting back onto those in the next day or so so you will be receiving them quite soon. Well I'm joined once again this evening by attorney Nicolene Skuman-Lowe and she's a director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public. Nicolene, good evening welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you for having me as always. So you survived the cold cold Cape Town winter? Oh goodness barely, barely <laughs> as <yes>. most Cape Townians. <laughs> yeah, it's been actually quite severely cold this year so we're lucky to come out the other end, it seems to be getting warmer now Well if you have any questions for us you can call Call us now on 0892-102010, 0892-102010. We have a couple of emails, so if you call now, just leave your name and number with my producer and we'll call you back as soon as we're done with the emails. Well, the first two are right up Nicolene's alley. The first one is from Sam and says, can you advise me on the following? If someone passes away in testate, how do the dependents go about accessing the estate if no will has been drawn up? Okay, well... Um if, if there is no will, let's just basic, start with the basics, um, then the person has died in their state, as the, the listener has also pointed out. Now, essentially, for those that don't know, that means that the Interstate Succession Act will then govern the way in which the state is then divided up. Um, so... In simple terms, one starts with the surviving spouse and children, and if there's only a spouse or children, then naturally it only goes to them. And then it goes along the lines of affinity to siblings and parents and, and so forth until you've exhausted all the lines, and then, of course, there's a whole procedure. So let's keep it simple and, and presume that there are um, a, there's maybe a spouse and some children that are left over or maybe just children. In that instance, um, someone will have to report the estate to the master of the high court. Um, and that gets done by way of completing certain documents and submitting the death certificate. And the master then opens a file and the process starts. Now, one of the documents that you have to complete is actually a list of assets and liabilities of the deceased estate. And presuming it's a relatively small estate, it's a... Um, in other words, what we call a section 18, subsection 3 estate, um, you, you don't have to follow all the formalities and the advertising and the formal valuations and all these things. So regardless of how intense, let's call it that, or how simple the reporting process is, there is a file at the master of the high court, and that's essentially where you as an heir will direct your claim. Now, in many instances, we find that people do not know they have to report the estate, which means that they only start asking questions many, many months down the line or sometimes many years down the line, which means that whoever has had possession of those assets, although it's unlawfully, often spends it, uh, uses it, abuses it, ruins it, whatever you want to term it. And... Um, in that instance, it becomes the, the longer you wait to report this, that to the less practically likely you are to 
have a quick and easy resolution to uh, your inheritance. Um, if it's taken too long to report, you need to get yourself an attorney sooner rather than later to try and recoup or save what is left to be saved. Now, of course, the attorney will be able to deal with all the formalities and the processes that need to be followed. But let's hope that is not the case because there isn't too much information being given. Uh, let's hope it was properly reported. And then the answer is simple. Go to the master's office to which this has been reported and say, you know, I'm, I'm one of the heirs, I'm related. Here's my birth certificate or proof that I am related and um, I'm, I'm in line for an inheritance. Now, besides the master being a contact person, the, the master would, in case of a small estate, also appoint someone called the master's representative. It's the same thing as an executor. It's just called by a different terminology because it, it makes reference to those small estates I were, was referring to earlier. And this is one of those other reasons why you keep telling everybody we need to have a will. Exactly, because it cuts down on all the uncertainty. My, my answer to that very somewhat simple question is, is as comprehensive as it is because there are so many variables. Mm. If there isn't a will, you don't know where to start. Um, was there a fixed property or a house? Uh, insurance policies, uh, retirement funds, I all, mean, all sorts that sort of, of things. Thing. Then, then it's worse than than being left with a box of documents that you have to figure out. Um, of course, that even happens to people who do have yes. <laughs> filing. Is is not everyone's filing and administration. It's not in everyone's nature, but uh, you do make it increasingly harder for your heirs, your loved ones left behind if you don't have a will. And if you don't have a will, people could be inheriting your goods that you wouldn't have wanted to in the first place. Sure. You know, so rather, when is National Wills Week? That's coming up again. It's coming up in September. Okay, so almost a um, couple months. Yes, yes. So hopefully in our next show we can mm. we can focus a little on that. And then, as always, the firm will be taking part and we'll be very pleased to, to have some listeners take part through our hopefully. program. Yes. Well, the next one is also about wills. And it's from David. He says, my grandmother died in 2012 and before she died, she left a will stating that she's leaving the house and all the property with one of her surviving daughters as she is survived by two daughters. Now, the property is unlawfully occupied by a grandson who claims that the house belongs to him and he does not want to move out. The executor of the estate has written two eviction letters to the unlawful occupant of the property and the unlawful occupant went to Legal Aid South Africa for help and the Legal Aid is now defending the unlawful occupant. What I do not understand is that how can the Legal Aid SA defend an unlawful occupant even if the will is approved by the Free State Master of the High Court and the letter of authority has been granted? What can we do to get this guy evicted and what can I, as the master's representative, do in such a matter? Well, so this is the other side of the coin. There was a will, but now someone else has just climbed on the bandwagon here. That Unfortunately, that happens and it happens for a number of reasons. Uh, people thinking that they're entitled for some or other reason, um, maybe because of being allowed to live there while the deceased was still alive and all sorts of expectations that were created verbally maybe and, and never recorded in the will or any contract or any legal inf uh, or enforceable document for that matter. But regardless of the reason, let's presume this person is un an, an unlawful occupant. Um, as the master's representative, you are the face or the mouth of the deceased estate. So it's you that will be representing it in enforcing its rights in the favor of the lawful heirs. In other words, the daughter and and if she's no longer around, her two daughters by way of, of the bloodline. So it's, it's really a case of getting your own legal representation 
Now, again, the word master's representative means this is a small estate, which but means... But there's property in, involved with that. Yes, which means with the property involved and everything else, it's a very low amount um, and probably funds to hire legal representation is of concern. So I would... Obviously, legal aid may have a conflict here. But why would um, they be... Why would they be um, helping this guy who's actually there illegally? Why would they be defending him? Well, everyone has the right to be heard. So um, it's based on a Latin principle called Audi Alteram Partem, which translates to your right to be heard. So whether you're right or wrong, you have uh, your right to access the justice system and to have your, your day in court, so to speak. Whether you're right or wrong being the key phrase okay, here. Because apparently it says the executive of the estate has written two eviction letters to the mm. unlawful occupant. Yes. And now he's gone off to legal aid. Yes. So... Obviously, he, he sees that an eviction application through the court system is coming. We anticipate that. And therefore, he's gotten himself an attorney in, in anticipation of that happening. So my advice would be for the master's representative to hire their own legal representation. If funds are of a concern, which practically from our experience in small estates usually are, um, approach the Law Society for a pro bono appointment, that would probably be the best option as legal aid would definitely have a conflict of interest in representing both, both parties. So if, um, uh, the, master, uh, the, the Law Society of the Free State? Yes. So get yourself an attorney. That attorney will help you with what we call a pie application or a, a, you know, the, the eviction application mm. as, we, as we roughly refer to it in layman's terms. And that's a whole process. Uh, there's a whole list of formalities. The letters, all, it's unfortunately only the start of this process. Thereafter, there are court dates, and the court needs to listen to both sides of the story, whether this person is, is entitled to it or not. He has to have his day in court on the basis of the right to be heard. And then the court will make a ruling and evict him. And if he chooses not to go at that point, then, of course, the police can get involved and forcibly, forcibly evict him or the sheriff of the court um, can also do that and change the locks. Um, quite literally, they they evict the people in every sense of that word and, and change the locks that they can't re-enter after the eviction has taken place and the sheriff has left. So two completely different sides of the story, one with no will, one with the will, but still with problems, even though there was a will. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, um, all you... It just goes to prove that no matter how carefully we plan, we can't foresee every single little detail that mm. can go wrong. Um, it, it, it's very unfortunate because this really does cause major problems in families. Absolutely. Gosh, okay. Right, just a reminder, you're tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is attorney Nicolene skuman Lowe, and she's a director of skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public, practicing here in Cape Town. We're doing a law clinic this evening, so no fixed topic. And if you have any questions for us, you can call us on 0892-102010, A quick one here from LZ. She says, wants to know about the law and harassment and protection orders okay i think um maybe maybe i need to make reference to a program that was on carte blanche a couple of weeks ago in fact not this sunday the last one so in terms of stalking 
Oh, yes. uh, I watch a lot of those crime channels, and there's a lot of that stuff on there. Horrible. It's thing. it's absolutely horrible, and I assumed on the basis of of the use of the word harassment and protection order in the same sentence that we may possibly be talking about a stalking situation. Uh, if that is the case, that if you can get your hands on that program, I found it tremendously useful. Um, the the only portion in our law that really does make provision for um, protection in that setting is the protection order. And it's a very simple process to, to go through. You don't actually need an attorney. You can go to your local magistrate's court and they can help you fill in the relevant documents. They can contact the sheriff. They can help you with the service of the process. And then, of course, you'll be back in court facing that person and it will then be made an order of court. The problem comes in, and I think, again, that program illustrated it quite well, that unfortunately it's not always properly enforced by mm. all the authorities, which means you've got this piece of paper, but it doesn't always protect you. Now, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but um, if, if nothing else, that program taught specifically, I think, women out there that we need to be vigilant who we get in ourselves involved with. And secondly, um, if you have this kind of problem that you, you take it very seriously from the outset and you get that protection order, don't wait, get it sooner rather than later and enforce it relentlessly. Don't think if an apology or a bunch of flowers are forthcoming that it's going to stop. Um, some of these, these cases end very badly. How, how stringent are our stalking laws here? Because I know in America they've actually, almost every state has different mm. ones, but over the years they've been getting progressively stronger. Do we have any stalking laws here? Unfortunately not, and that's one of the big problems. Um, again, what the program had pointed out is that many people don't have concrete evidence of the stalking. It happens very uh, in a very sophisticated manner. It's almost a case of something has to happen to you first before the police will take yeah. it. Not that it's their fault, but by exactly. law there's nothing they can do if somebody's just bothering you. Exactly. The, the law relating to interdicts, which the protection order is a type of interdict, um, means you've got a whole checklist, so to speak, that you have to fulfill in order to get a successful interdict application to go through. And one of those elements is to prove that danger is imminent. And now danger being imminent is some, maybe somewhat different for me than it is for someone else. Someone with a, a high threshold of tolerance and sympathy maybe or subject to manipulation of some sorts by this person may be more tolerant to what could be imminent danger than someone else, and therefore your perception of the meaning is different. And similarly, the interpretation is different, which means in many instances, legitimate orders are not always granted, or they're granted when it's gotten way out of control. And what is your recourse then? Something bad has to happen, which means assault, or a break-in, or damaging of property, or even worse, an assault that could, could leave you with serious bodily harm or... You could even die. Well, so, one, one thing from watching all these crime channels on TV, which I absolutely love, um, the one thing I've noticed on there that what, what they had to do eventually, these women that were being stalked so mm. badly, kept everything. They email you, you keep mm. it. They SMS you, you keep it. There's a phone yes. message on your phone, you keep it. You don't delete anything. You keep all as much evidence as you possibly can. You can and you have to. Um, and and the, the, the disturbing part is many go further. They keep all the evidence and they change all their details in order to make it stop. And some of these, these people are so 
um, sophisticated in what they do that they find you anyway. Yes, it's um, it's it's really quite disturbing and deeply so. And that's that's why I think the the lesson in all of that is a yes, keep all the evidence because the the statistically the biggest problem with enforcing these kind of uh, regulations and and uh, uh, tools that we have to protect ourselves is the onus that we have to discharge that you have Mm. this imminent threat and how do you prove an imminent threat if you don't keep the emails you don't keep the sms's you don't ask your colleagues who have seen this person lurking outside your your office or or your neighbors and in terms of this person lurking outside your your home um, if you don't collate all of that and keep it, then so, so that's it's why almost in, impossible. Yeah, in these cases, it's on you basically to actually pr- almost build your own case initially. Of course, and and I think uh, the other important point is to to go and see an attorney. Don't um, if you if you have the means and if if you know someone and and all of that, go and see an attorney and and maybe shoot off a, a letter through the attorney in addition to making application for a. For a protection order, sometimes, not always, it does have the desired effect of deterrence, and that's where it ends. Well, I must tell you, I, about a couple of years ago, I was being harassed by some very strange man who kept phoning me at three o'clock in the morning on my cell phone, and I wouldn't wow. switch it. I don't like not having anything switched on during the night, so he'd phone me, and that minute the, the calls just got progressively worse and progressively worse. And I, I made a note of the number the second mm. time he phoned, and then after the third time, he blocked his number but it was a bit stupid because I had it from before and this went on for a couple of weeks and I thought no seriously I can't do this anymore went to the police mm. with the guy's phone number and told them exactly what he'd said and what he, it was horrendous stuff he was saying on the phone at three o'clock in the morning and um, the cops actually phoned him yeah and ha- explained a few things to him on the phone he wasn't even in Cape Town he was up somewhere up up north mm. and they explained for a few things he's never called me again I don't know what they said to him, but he's never called me again. No, so, of course, you know, and, and of yeah. course, if you can can get the police to act mm. on that, the the problem is at, in this day and age, our police are so inundated yeah. with other issues that they rarely find time to deal with this. Um, that's one of the other challenges the program had pointed out, and understandably so. If we've got some some other serious crimes to Absolutely. deal with, so you know. It's a a tough one. I was very lucky. Right, our last email is from Aubrey. He says, I have a problem with my Truworths account since 2012. I had an account with them in 2008. I was unemployed from 2008 to 2010. After I found a job in 2010, I contacted them to pay the account and was told it was no longer with them, but rather with an agent. The agent then referred me to another agent, and that didn't help. And in 2012, I was contacted by attorneys about this account, and I deposited 350 rand as we agreed which was a payment plan and then after that even though he paid the 350 rand he received a garnish order at work summoning me to pay 650. I opposed that garnish order and I contacted the attorneys and I spoke to a particular person all these people are named by the way and I'm not prepared to say that over here because they don't have right of reply and the person at the attorneys told me that the account was no longer with them after I'd paid the 350 rand as a payment plan, the account was now with somebody else. I contacted them by phone. Their phone was not answered on two occasions. I emailed them, and they haven't replied to my email. I then contacted somebody from the first lot um, of agents, the very first lot after he'd spoken to Truers back in 2010, um, and he told me the account was sent to this other agent, and I must speak to them. They told me, this other agent, that the account is not with them. And he's now ended up not paying. He doesn't know who the account's worth. And he's now received judgment from his HR officer at work. I mean, this sounds like a nightmare. It's one person passing it on to somebody else all the time. 
this this is unfortunately um, something that happens quite often in practice, uh, where big uh, financial institutions and creditors, um, uh, you know, credit providers in terms of the National Credit Act, uh, often sell their book debts to debt collectors to other agents that buy book debts and they, they then end up selling it off to someone else and, and so on and so forth. So the problem is nothing in the law precludes the creditor or the credit provider to sell to someone their book debt. And they don't, there's no requirement for them to advise you who they've sold to. So the problem is in, with many of these old debts that by the time they get sold, they are very close to prescribing. Many of these credit providers, or the call them the agent who since bought the debts, never bring the application or the summons. They never launch proceedings in time, which means they are, for lack of a better word, trying their luck by claiming a debt that has prescribed. Now, if you see the dates in it here, his one would have prescribed. Would pre have prescribed long ago. I mean, but from he agreed to pay. You see, that's the problem. Two, yeah, and if he agreed in writing in 2012, in 2012, presumably with uh, acknowledgement of debt, that maybe. That was with the attorneys. He said he paid them, and he probably had to sign something. And if you did, then prescription restart started again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so that defence would then fall out. But since then, I think there's there's quite he hasn't seemed to have paid anything else here but to bring a rescission of judgment application. So my advice would be to Aubrey. Um, basically get your own attorney and to bring a rescission of judgment application which will take the garnishee order and everything off of your name okay. so that you um, can then make a, an appropriate arrangement or to settle the debt in full and, and you know, uh, if, if they do oppose the rescission mm. of judgment application. Okay. Otherwise, this will sit on, on, your, on your pay slip as a garnishee until it's paid yeah, up. He's and that amount should probably be quite substantial by now in terms of interest and other charges. Okay, so just all this it sounds like, yeah, so he must apply for a rescission of judgment yes. order. Get yourself okay. an attorney and do that sooner rather than later. Okay, Aubrey, hopefully that's been helpful. Right, Renee's on the line in Cape Town. Renee, good evening. You've got a problem with, with your bank. Um, good evening. Yes, I do, ma'am. So tell us what's happening with the bank. Um, I took a loan out in 2010. Mm -hmm. At the end of 2011, I lost my job. Mm -hmm. But there was insurance on the loan. I took all my documents in, my mm -hmm. documents from my employer. It was due to medical reasons that um, my contract ended. Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time, I had an account also with HiFi Corporation. Mm -hmm. And that same documents I took into them. Mm -hmm. In 2012, it was settled with Hi-Fi Corporation that was done. But then in 2012, I received a call from Standard Bank saying that um, my account, why am I not paying my account? Mm -hmm. And then I went in to find out what is happening because I took my documents in. Mm -hmm. And then apparently my documents got lost, so it never went to the insurance company. Mm-hmm. And now, um, about two months ago, I received a call again. I gave them again all my documents in 2012. Okay. And now, two months ago, I received a call again from ADRS saying that my account is now with them. Okay. And um, I went into the bank again to find out what is going on. 
And then they couldn't give me any details because the account was no longer on the system. Okay. So now the account is with this um, debt, is a debt collector. Okay. And um, the lady that phoned me, she threatened me on the phone, saying they're going to put a garnishing on my um, salary. And and um, then I spoke to another lady at the company also, and she refused to give me her name, the other lady's name that, um, that threatened me. Mm-hmm. So now no one can tell me anything what is happening or what must I do. And I'm stressed out. And I don't know what to do about this anymore. Tell me what type of insurance that did you have? Do you um, know? It looks, it, I think it's a, a life insurance or something. Okay. Because it's saying if you temporary, if you temporary disability or yes. permanent disability and retrench and things like that, then um, they cover. Okay, so it's important that retrenchment and, and all of the disable, uh, disability and all of those elements are covered by that policy. Um, the policy should have then covered most of it and it should still be able to do that if the documentation was never submitted and it wasn't your fault and all of that through the insurance company that is. So, so now, excuse me? So you could approach the insurance company to ask them to settle the account. But I feel on the basis of how old this debt is and on the basis that um, it has since been probably sold, as, as we had discussed in the program earlier, to a debt collector, as many of the banks and the credit providers do, then um, you may be very well, you'll just have to check the exact dates. The debt may very well already have prescribed, which means even if they claim it at this point, it's too late. Because now they told me um, I have a month to decide what I want to do if um, if I want to approach an attorney or unless mm. I decide what I'm going to do. Because I told them I won't, um, I, at this stage, I can't pay the account. When when did you last pay something on this account, Renee? Um, that was when I was still working in 2011. But you know when? The end of what, 2011. The end of to what month? Do you know what month it was? Uh, it's either November or December. That's, okay. that's why they're pushing you now. Exactly. So they, they're trying to, to make sure that they fit into the uh, three-year period. In other words, at your, yes, they, the they claim, told me about that. The claim doesn't prescribe, as we say. So I would recommend that you, if you, if you can't pay and um, you have proof that you've submitted all the documents more than once, that you do get yes, yourself... Yes, I do have. The second time I made sure I have all, everything that it was sent off to the insurance. And, all and of the that. other thing is I contacted the credit bureau. There's, uh, there's a zero balance on the account. Okay. Well, then definitely there's something there's something not quite right there. I would then more more so recommend that you get yourself your own attorney, and that by the time they do make claim from you by way of issuing a summons, then you are ready to do something about it. But um, leave it for them to take the action. Don't um, have the attorney necessarily contact them before. Okay. The insurance would also um, still be in a position to to make a, a payment um, on on this claim. So um, maybe your first and and more cost effective point of call would be to try and get some feedback from the insurer directly as to why they are not paying for this. 
Okay. You because should still another be lady phoned me from ADR in last week, and she said to me that they are sending the account back to Standard Bank, and she would phone me back, and I'm still waiting on her to contact uh, me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. I think if if you want to to be proactive, then rather call the insurance company and um, speak to someone senior. Um, high up, not just a call center agent and find out why they haven't paid the, this account if you had submitted the, the claim forms to them. And okay. if they don't want to pay the account because they don't know who to pay, then, you know, that's a, that's a different story. If they can put that in writing for you, if these, these debt collectors or the bank ever does come back to you, then you can prove that you've tried again and you can put them in contact with one another. Okay. Okay. Good luck, Renee. Thank Good you. luck. Thank you. Thank you very All much. All right. Bye-bye Bye. now. We've got Paul in Port Elizabeth, and I've had a look at Paul's problem. And, Paul, I'm very glad. I'm sorry to say that I'm not you. How are you doing, Paul? I'm not good. But I'm glad for you taking my call and prepare uh, to listen to my story. You and your expert over there. It's, a, it's an horrendous story, Paul. Do you tell us as briefly as you can what happened? I hope so. They started off in March 2012 when I experienced problems with my car. My mm-hmm. car didn't want to start. So I took the car to, I would call this person's A and B. Mm-hmm. The I, I took the car to person A, and person A gave me a quote for 8,500 rand to do the job. He said there was fault with the diesel pump, and the diesel pump had to be overall. Uh, he worked on the car, and after completion of the job, I paid him the 8,500 rand. And he said to me verbally that uh, his work was carrying a warranty of three months. And when I, I took the car and when I got home, the car did the same thing. It didn't start. I phoned A and I told him what was happening. And he said to me that I should bring the car back to him so that he could see what was wrong with it. I did so and left the car with person A for a few days again. Thereafter, he phoned me and said that my car was ready for collection but something else seemed to have caused the problem. Therefore, I owe him another 5,500 rand. So I paid person A in total 13,500 rand. Mm-hmm. I took my car from A, and about three days later, the car was doing the very same thing again. It would not start. I took the car back to person A, and I left the car at his place of work, and again person A said, that he will phone me as soon as the car was ready for collection. I waited for about four days for person A to call me. And on the first day, I went in person to his workplace to inquire about uh, the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got there, person A told me that he took the car to person B, as person B was the best person to work on diesel engines. Mm-hmm. I never gave consent to person A to take the car to B. And when I asked A who was going to pay for the work that person B was going to do, person A told me I shouldn't worry about it because the three-month warranty was still applicable. The next day, person A phoned me and asked me to take my spare key into B as they wanted to see if the spare key would help to get the car started. I asked person A for directions as I did not know uh, the location of person B's work premises. Mm -hmm. And when I got to person B, I asked person B who was going to pay for the work that he was going to do on my car. But remember, I did not give person B permission or I did not take my car to him in the first place. Mm 
Welcome. He said to me that was no person being, I shouldn't worry as I brought the car to him. I left persons these premises and after about two days I called person A to inquire about the progress on my car with B. And person A suggested that I give B a little more time to attend to the problem on the car. And about a week later, I went to person A's premises myself to inquire about the progress on the car. The first time I was doing this telephonically, but I mean, after that number of days, I decided to go there myself. Mm -hmm. Person A suggested that I go to person B myself and inform him as person B that I was the owner of the car in the hope that person B would speed up the work on the car. I asked A to accompany me to B, but A told me that he was too busy at the time as his garage was full of cars that needed to be fixed uh, on that particular day. I nevertheless went to B and told him that I was the owner of the car and asked him when he would be done with the work on my car that A brought to him. And B said to me that he needed a few more days to finish the work on the car. After a few days, I called person B to inquire about the progress on the car. And B told me he needed more time. However, I went to person A's workplace to tell A about the problem, and A phoned B in my presence to inquire about the progress on the car. B said he needed more time. That was when I started to phone person B regular to inquire about the progress on the car. My car is still with B up until this very day. And I, B has summoned me now for an amount of 72,000 rand. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to do. Paul, is the car running at any point? The car is the, the car is standing at the premises of person B. Has he, he actually fixed car, it, though? He has fixed the car. He wants his money now in order before he's going to release the car. Okay, I, I also see that uh, from the email that you have sent to us previous, uh, prior to the show um, that you have had attorneys involved. Yes. What do you yes. mean by that? Have they written letters? Have they uh, opposed this, this, um, this summons? What have they done? They have opposed the summons. They have written letters. But it seems to me as if I'm not getting anywhere with this thing. That is why I, I mean, I thought this would be my last resort uh, just to get my car back. Yeah. No, because, no. I mean, in, in law, you've got a very strong case, you know, in, in terms of, let's just, let's unpack this very briefly. Um, firstly, person A was, was the representative um, with who you contracted. So, in, in, from a legal perspective, this agreement is between you and person A. If there's any dispute regarding money, it's between A and B, not between B and yourself. And that's, right. I presume, one of the the things that um, that your attorneys would have put forward. And um, there was no agreement, no consent to give it to this person, and and right. there was no quotation or uh-huh. anything to that effect. So there are a number of violations in terms of a consumer protection perspective. Um, right. 
you know, in terms of the quotation and, and the three-month guarantee, with all due respect, is, is not sufficient in terms of the Consumer Protection Act. The okay. act is quite clear. All supplies, including guys that, that fix motor cars, should give a six-month um, guarantee of, of the quality of their work that they would be performing on your on your car. They could also not incur any further costs in terms of this legislation without your prior consent to the additional costs being incurred. Was he in time for that? It just happened in March 2012. Yeah, Was he felt yeah. in the Consumer Protection yes. Act? Yes. Okay. In anything that, that um, of course, the, the Act uh, came into effect at the end of that month, so it depends exactly what day. Um, but the spirit of the legislation, everything that happened after uh, the, the 31st of March on that year would fall under the ambit of okay. the Act. So even if a portion of the claim falls before the existence of the CPA or the Consumer Protection Act, uh, a very good portion and the most relevant portion um, specifically in relation to person B would now fall within the ambit of this piece of legislation. So what does Paul do now? Well, your attorneys should actively um, oppose this and this should um, go to, to a close. Um, of course, if they've opposed it, then it goes through the normal court process and you wait for your trial date, your day in court, as we said with, saw with the Oscar Pistorius trial. Have they given you a date or anything, Paul? Yes, yes. Uh, what has been happening here is that these two, A and B, are now using the same attorneys, you see? Okay. They, they are saying that they will use, the attorneys will use A and B to, mm. as witnesses in this case. Okay. No, then fine, and then then I'm sure you've got your own evidence that you can put forward. I mean, the only evidence that I have are, are just the invoices that I'm having from B, from A. As I didn't, I didn't receive anything from from B. You know, as I didn't have any contact with. B. That's a very relevant point for you to bring forward to court, that you never had any any contract with B, and therefore B cannot claim from you, even if if they put some. We'll have to look at the paperwork, of course, but even if they put forward evidence by calling both of these guys to the stand, the fact of the matter is you contracted with A and you've paid A in full. And A right. has um, brought you uh, to believe um, and the agreement was constituted to the effect that um, A will sort B out financially, that there was no financial implication. So right. your, your attorneys need to put that forward and... If it's a case of, of them still being in the process, the process, once it goes to court, does take time. Right. No, I understand that. But we were supposed to go to court on the 2nd of this month. Yes. I mean, we were there, but my attorneys then said that we should settle for, we should go for a settlement offer, you know, in order to get the car from B. Yes. But now B wouldn't budge. He wants his, his, his total amount of 72,000 rand. Well, then you have to go so for your day in court. And he has to claim that from A, not from you. Yes. And that's the defense you need to put forward. And if you're not happy with your representation, then, um, you know, it's a free marketplace. Then then go and look for an attorney who you feel more comfortable with if you're dissatisfied. You see, but I've been to so many attorneys and these people oh, are just okay. driving around. You see what I'm saying? Mm. They're just pushing me from here to there and uh, seemingly they don't want to go. Or I, I don't know, but they, some say to me that I should never have uh, uh, made a case against A because the car is not with A, the car is with B. But I said to them, I didn't give my car to B. So how could I make a case against B if mm. I didn't give my car to, to, to B? I mean, I had, I had 
in my view, I have a case with A and not with B. Exactly. But all my is with B. Exactly. Now, um, now I, I, I can I hear what you're saying, and and the point that I'm I'm uh, trying to get across is that you you need to make sure that if you have your day in court, you put all of this forward. Um, right. In law, it 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 seems without, of course, seeing all the paperwork, which may change my view. Um, this is what you can do. Unfortunately, at this point, I'm I'm not convinced that you can refer this to the consumer commission if it's already with court. Then uh, the consumer commission will wait for the outcome at court, and uh, or they'll just plainly refuse to hear it because it has already gone to court. So at this point, if you're not satisfied with your attorney, the alternative is to find one that that's will better represent you, or to get a completely outside legal opinion. Paul, I'm sorry, but we have to wrap it up now. We've got a list of people still waiting to get on and we don't have much time. But thank you very much and I wish you much success. And please do let us know how this resolves itself. Thanks for having, listening to me, Carmen. Thanks, I, Paul. Much Only All a pleasure. Thanks, Paul. All right. Good night to you. Right. Ashley in Durban. Good evening. Hi. Good evening, Colin. Yes. Hi. Mm. Thanks for taking my call and thanks to your guest as well. Pleasure. My, my problem, not really a problem, just the two questions that I have. Mm-hmm. I would just like to know from the attorney uh, what's the difference between a right of habitation and a user truck in, in terms of, of wills. Okay. Well, um, let, let me start with the definitions. That's what attorneys like to do, you know. Uh, the, the right of, of habitatio, as we, we refer to it in Latin, or uh, habitation, means you have the right to uh, live, um, uh, roughly translated. So, it would, would be a right for you to live in the premises. Usufruct is a combination of uh, the right to live and the right to the fruits. In uh, Latin, we break up the word with the first mention being uses. That's uh, uh, the Latin word for use. And fruct or uh, fructus is uh, fruits. So you can use and you can utilize the fruits. So in a practical example, let's take a, a house. If you have the right of habitatio, then you can live in the house, and that's it. If you have the right of usufruct, you can live in the house, you can rent a part of it out, you can pocket the rental, you can improve it uh, with the consent of the, the bedominium holder, who is the underlying full owner, um, to extend it and to rent it out. In a farm setting, it could be crops and the harvesting of the crops and the sale of the crops, in addition to being able to live there. Yeah, so, and, and is there any monetary value with, with regard to any of these? Yeah, yeah um, specifically with usufructs, uh, SARS recognizes uh, inheriting and usufruct as having both an estate duty implication um, on death. And if you dispose of it during your life, it could have a capital gains. Uh, implication it could even um, on your death as the usufructory before uh, let's let's say it's a lifelong usufruct and you only use it for two years then the the balance of the value will again bear state duty so from a SARS perspective most definitely there's a, a financial a financial benefit to it on, on both of these two rights, right of habitatio as well. Habitatio, probably more from uh, if you're not, you know, it would be the equivalent of not having to pay rental. So there may be tax implications, but it's not as as widely and as um, um, definitively 
um, legislated in terms of the calculations. There are very complex calculations uh, for tax purposes and the various taxes that it involves with usufructs, as opposed to habitatio, which will probably have a financial value, but it will be on the basis of market-related rental, oh, okay. if it's a one fixed last, property, of course. Yeah, yeah. One, last, one last question. The last question is that, um, well, my brother's right was actually, you know, into the deed office, mm-hmm. but the deed office rejected actually, you know, his right to register it on, on, the, on the title deed. Okay. In terms of, um, it, should be a, it should be drafted, like, you know, where specifically is going to stay on the property. Tell me, is that legally right? And can they draft yeah. the deed office do that? It depends on how the property has been uh, structured, you know, if it's been subdivided or if it's agricultural. Um, it, it depends on a range of factors, but a rejection from the deeds office in, in a deeds office perspective doesn't mean you can't register the right. It just means the conveyancer trying to register it needs to fix the drafting and submit it again until it's correct. And it's actually the responsibility of the conveyancer to go and see the relevant examiner or the person working at the deeds office. Um, to get some guidance as to how they want it properly done in terms of wording and to correct it and to get it passed, essentially, to get it registered. So a rejection in a deeds office context doesn't mean it all is lost. Yeah, because we had to approach the, you know, a land surveyor and he should have... There's usually some guideline as to why the rejection took place and some guideline on how to fix it. So you'll just have to go through the motions of fixing it and if uh, it's it's maybe not all of these aspects are within the uh, expertise of all conveyances, so it may just be that your conveyancer isn't um, experienced in the field and, and it would probably be good to consider going to someone who knows and who does this on a daily basis. So a conveyancer who does a lot of uh, deceased estates um, or estate planning transfers, not someone who just does... Um, you know, buying and selling of buying and selling of, of houses. It's mm. a little more complex than that. Okay. okay thank you. Thank you very okay. much. Thanks, Ashley. Best. Good night. Bye bye. Andres in Bloemfontein. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Colin. Hello. Okay, uh, I'll be quick as possible. I just want to know why legal rule takes so long. If I'm a landlord, mm-hmm. uh, to evict someone takes me three months plus. Some mm. days and via court. If I can just sign another contract with another person, go and stay with that person there. So will I be on the one side of the law again? If you, d- sorry, you were breaking up yeah. a little. Just say just, that again. No, I'm saying to you, uh, the legal route is yes. too long. Okay. Yes. Someone who's occupying my house, yes. he doesn't want to leave. The yes. court offered her three months. So if I can sign another contract with person B, go and stay with the uh, person A there because she don't want to move out. Will I be on the one side of the law as a landlord? I wouldn't recommend that. You wouldn't if, recommend that? I wouldn't no. recommend that because you know what the old saying goes, two wrongs don't make a right. You know, <laughs> two wrongs don't make a right. I wouldn't, yeah, well, I, I couldn't recommend that because it could get you into trouble. As a landlord, I'm not staying there, ma'am. I'm just saying, uh, I just uh, uh, push someone and I signed, the deal is like signing two contracts. But mm. the, the old person, uh, his time is already finished in the house. She must leave my house. She don't want to leave my house. Because mm. of that, 
consumer protection. Yeah, but uh, don't, don't move somebody else in there, Andres, because then you'll end up getting into trouble. Yeah, you know, there are so many risks. You, you, don't, you don't know if that other person may maybe do something to the person who's already in there or, you know, just opens yourself up to all sorts of additional troubles that could potentially happen or these two get into some argument and, and something goes wrong. I, I can't in good conscience as an attorney or... Uh, recommend that. Sorry. So don't do it. I'd Andres. rather not. Wait for okay. three months to lapse, and if if that doesn't work, then you get the sheriff to enforce the eviction order that you've already been granted. Isn't there other ways of getting your things? Same like the guy who was complaining about his car. I maybe he can just go and take his car away, then the matter can be settled. Okay, anyway, thanks a lot, ma'am. Okay. You that's why I'm saying legal hood takes it a lot. Does, it does. I know. Does. Unfortunately, does. it's very frustrating for us as well. We we hear you. We do. Oh, Thank okay. you, Andres. Thanks, thanks, thanks for getting through. Good night to you. Sadima in Cape Town, good evening. Yes, good evening. Hi, so how can we help you, Sadima? Uh, yes, good evening. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I had a book that I published. Mm-hmm. And then in 2012, I discovered that the company that had published my book in originally in English mm-hmm. had actually translated it into Tosa. Okay. Without my knowledge. So when I discovered in 2012 that it had been translated into Tosa, it had already been seven, uh, about five years because they translated it apparently in 2007. And then I discovered in 2012 that they had uh, translated and they had never paid me royalties for the five years. Oh, goodness. But, but, but when I inquired why they had done that, they said, no, it was a human, it was human error. So uh, they, 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 there was nothing they could do about the five years. Uh, and it was human error that I was not informed that the book had been translated. So, yeah, I don't know what uh, where, where they speak out the course. Have they paid you anything, Sadima? No, no, they didn't pay me for those years, for those five years that uh, they had been selling the book. And uh, they didn't show me any statement, any royalty statement that mm. uh, the book has been selling for this much and, and all that. So Nothing. What does he do now? Is it a bit late? Or? No, I, I would still... Um and and if you if you want to send your details through to to Karen after the show to Law at SAFM, then um, I can put you in touch with a, an attorney who specialises in intellectual property law. Uh, at the very least, uh, let's try and see if if you do have a case. Um, unfortunately, I don't deal with any form of property law, uh, intellectual property law. I'm not not qualified for that. So. Yeah. Uh, um, but I think it's very much worth your while to at least see whether whether you do still have recourse. Um, this happens daily, and uh, these big uh, publishing houses often um, often just um, ex- assume that um, the the person being affected, such as yourself, won't do anything about it. So, so let's at least yeah. investigate it, please. Can you email, have you got my email? It's law at safm.co.za. Oh, oh, yes, Karen, I'll send you an email. And send me some information, I'll pass it on to Nicolene. Great, and I'll put you in touch with, with one of the guys we work with quite regularly. I will do that. Good luck, Sadima. Thank you very Thanks. much. Thanks. Good night to you.
This Thursday on Top Billing, Footballer of the Year Sivusiso Vilagasi breaks down his training, techniques and future plans. The Lion King, Finding Nemo and Toy Story come together as Disney on Ice celebrates 100 years of magic. We meet the families behind Italy's Pinot Grigio wines, Parma ham and pasta. Plus, Jonathan steps boldly into Season 7 of Strictly Come Dancing. Top Billing, Thursday night, 8.30, SABC3. The Law Report with Karen Key. Well, we're coming up to the end of the program. And these Law Report things always seem to scream up to the end of the show in such a hurry. Um, and just apologies to Louise and Vasile. We're not going to get to you, unfortunately. But if you have a question, email me at law at safm.co.za and hopefully we can help you out. But Miranda in Durban, if you can be quick, we'll try and get to you. Okay, hi, my name is Miranda. I just want to inquire. My sister just lost her husband and the man was working in the mines. And tomorrow we're going to the master's office in Marshall Town. What I want to know is now, my sister's husband didn't have a house or anything. All he had was the Provident Fund and, mm-hmm. the, and the UIF. Is, can that be listed as, a, as a, something to be inherited? Yes, of course it can. Um, you'll, you'll fill it in on the inventory form when you go to the master's office tomorrow. Uh, you'll have to fill in a, a range of forms, but the inventory form is where you will actually add the Provident Fund. Um, UIF, you don't really have to specify there, but it won't hurt if if you do. Uh, the Provident Funds, as with any other pension fund, um, isn't taxable, um, but with such a small estate, it shouldn't be relevant. So it means that you won't pay any state duty on, on any inheritance as a result of uh, a provident fund or a, a, a retirement annuity or a pension fund. Oh, thank you very much. So in addition, you'll probably have to also go to the employer and just fill in the forms for, for getting the provident fund to pay out as soon as possible. Oh, thanks very much. Okay. Thank you, okay. Miranda. All the, best. all the best to you and your sister. Thank you. Thank Good night you. to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, once again, coming up to the end of the show, we're going to be doing um, Will's Week next month, are we? Yes, yes. Okay, it's always a good one, that, because it's one no, of my passions it. and yours. <laughs> telling everybody, every time I see someone, have you got a Will? You know, I become quite uh, irritating. I think, wonder why people keep avoiding me when they see me. <laughs> well, my thanks once again this evening to Nicolene Skumanler. She's a director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries, Public Practicing here in Cape Town. And she's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report Programme. We'll be running legal clinics like this one on the second Monday of every month. And Nicolene will be back with us again on the second Monday of August. Gosh, August. I can't believe believe it's quite August already. It's ridiculous. Well, the Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please do remember to include your email address or if you don't have access to Facebook you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list and you can choose what you want and the list is getting longer and longer every time I go onto Facebook I add keep adding on new things so if you haven't been to look for a while take a look on the law report next week I'll be joined by Ashley Percival and he's the assistant financial services ombud now we have had quite a few emails about people having problems with banks and insurances and all those sorts of things. So tune in next week when Ashley Percival will be in the studio with me. And it's your definitely the night for you to get all those questions answered. 
Well, I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with Health Matters, so join me then. And it's a little early, but Stephen Kirk is up next with some nighttime music. Stephen, I hope you can take over now. I'm having I'm a problem d- breathing with my d- flu. D- no, I was going to say, yes, I'm uh, with you with nighttime music. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist it. <laughs> we'll join you again. Thank uh, you. <laughs> it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. I do hope you have a voice tomorrow. Um, because uh, it can happen, of course, that one loses one's voice. Yes, Nicolene Skuman, uh, always interesting hearing the law report when the guests are in and uh, nursing that flu. Karan Key returning between 10 o'clock and, no, rather between 9 and 10 o'clock for um, health matters. Um, flu remedies, anyone? Yeah. There should be such a thing. Anyway, it is coming up to 10 o'clock. And uh, after the news at 10 o'clock, we're into the nighttime music uh, to wind things down this Monday night.